please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences, and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone, a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness and how we got here. When it came to my wife's passing, that was basically the tip of the iceberg. And then I guess I should point out after that was pretty much it for me. And I attempted to take my own life. So I don't know if you want to discuss that at this time or that was what the choice that I made after my wife had passed. Um, After I left the hospital, again, like I said, this was in Alaska. I was living in Fairbanks, Alaska. It was freaking 50 below at the time, mid dead of winter, you know, pitch black outside. It's that time of season where it doesn't ever get light. So it's already depressing as it is in Alaska. Um, So it's like 45 below outside or something like that. And I just remember going home to an empty house and I did. I had, a, I had a cat and a dog at the time, and both of them, from being, I had taken them on the, the traveling with me. My pets were wiped out. I can tell they were wiped out. And pets know, you know, they know what's happening. My dog knew what was going on. <clears throat> Every time she seed me, she just kind of just stood in her pillow and wouldn't come to me anymore. So <clears throat> when I went home to an empty house. Um, That was pretty much it for me. I decided that uh, I didn't want, I didn't, couldn't deal with it anymore. Um, I was done. Um, I was far away. Um, This is where I was born and raised here in Denver, Colorado. So all my friends and family were here. I had pretty much nobody out in Alaska. Um, And there's plenty of reasons. I can tell you that if you want to know the stories why I was living out there, but um, I decided that was it. Uh, My name is Raymond V. Hill, and my diagnosis is uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, TSS, which is traumatic stress syndrome, and um, I also have uh, generalized anxiety and uh, major depressive disorders as well. Uh, the ba- last major thing, I was um, my first wife passed of uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, she was very young. She was 35 when she was she passed. She, we battled it for five years. She was diagnosed just at the age of 30, uh, which is pretty rare for anybody with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, if you know anything about that. Um, it's mostly, you know, the elder folks who get that type of disease. And, uh, yeah, that was the thing that we battled for five years when she got when she was diagnosed. We were living in Alaska at the time. Um, and went through all the motions, went through chemo and radiation and um, moved 
quite a few different places. We lived in Fairbanks, Alaska, so we had to go back and forth from Alaska to Seattle to Alaska to Seattle for treatments because they don't offer any of that kind of stuff in Alaska because they're so far behind. You know, they're like, God, I can see that they're like 10 years behind in anything that we do here in the lower 48. <laughs> so <clears throat> they just don't offer anything like that. So I had to go to Seattle for, for everything that we had to do. So there was a lot of traveling involved. Um, so anyway, um, uh, she was, it came down to about, um, about right after 2009, about 09, she went into remission and, uh, didn't last long. I mean, because the chemo and radiation pretty much took over her body and ravaged her body so that she was pretty much broken down. Her immune system was gone. So right around about two, uh, um, between 2009 and 2010, she was in remission. Within a couple months, it came back, like swiftly. It came back real fast. I mean, and within months, you know, there was, there was really not much that could be done at that point. So just basically had to watch her, you know, dwindle away and her body just, just decay away. And then finally in 2010, uh, I had to, um, we were living in Alaska still, and I had to uh, call the ambulance after about three or four days of basically watching her body break down and no sleep, of course. At, at this point, I was burnt out at, at everything. Um, I had given up my two jobs that I was working. I was a chef for about 28 years, and I was working two jobs as a chef at, you know, when she got diagnosed, gave all of that up to take care of her. And so by the time that it came towards the end, I was wiped out. You know, I was burnt out, totally wiped. So after <clears throat> about three or four days of not sleeping and watching her pretty much decay away and her breathing just going totally downhill, I knew what I had to do and I had to call the ambulance. They came and picked her up and took us to the hospital and from that point, um, once they told her that they were going to intubate her again, <clears throat> she was like, screw that, This, you know what I mean? And she pretty much went into oblivion from that point and then everything started failing. And it was it was just a matter of hours, probably about six hours it took before her body totally shut down. Um, and I was in the room when she was at that point, and she basically, I, I was sitting in the room, but I basically got up to be next to her um, because I wanted to be with her and I wanted her to be able to touch me. Um, and she basically passed in my arms, so... You know, I was there up until the point she flatlined. So, and <clears throat> that was that was it. You know, I mean, like I said, I was I knew in my head that it was going to happen for, you know, us battling the cancer and going through everything, but I wasn't prepared for <clears throat> that exact moment. You know. My traumas come from since I was a child, and to be pretty, to be pretty specific, um, one thing that I have done since I've been in therapy, one thing that my therapist um, suggested that I do when I first started seeing her and talking to her was that she told me to write down all my traumas, 
And I was like, oh, God, how do I do that? You know, that means I got to go back to my childhood and think about every single thing. Well, I did it. it. took me quite a while, but I did it. And come to about maybe 68, 69 traumas that I've got since I was a kid. And it started when I was eight years old. It started with uh, religious indoctrination with my with my mom. I was raised a Jehovah Witness. Um, I was raised in an abusive family with an alcoholic father. Um, and <clears throat> the list just goes on from there. I mean, it just continues. There isn't... I mean, I can honestly say at this point, I'm 52 years. At this point, there really isn't much that I haven't seen besides combat. Me, I grew up on the street. I grew up in with gangs. My older brothers were in gangs. Um, like I said, I grew up with an alcoholic father. Uh, my second oldest brother took his own life in 1996. Um, hung himself in my mother's garage. Uh, I was the one who found him. I was the one who took him off the rope. Um, I also did something that most people would never even think of doing. Um, I prepared him for his viewing and his burial, which is basically I dressed him. I've lost a best friend to suicide. I lost another friend to suicide. Uh, I've witnessed a murder when I was a young kid, um, being growing up around the gang scene. Um, I, sorry, I'm doing that again. Um, I myself have been a victim of police violence because I, back in the day, was taken for an alley ride. I don't know if you guys ever, ever heard of that term or know what that is. Um, back when I was growing up, the gangs were pretty prevalent in the streets of Denver. There was a lot of gangs running the streets, um, and cops would basically pick up somebody they didn't like, and they'd take them down the alley and rough them up a little bit, and then drop them off. And nobody would ever know about it, because of course you're in an alley, you're in a dark alley, and you get roughed out, roughed out by a couple of cops, you know, what are you going to do? down I came back to Colorado um, reconnected with some people um, started you know not necessarily getting back into my old ways but I still picked up a you know a few beers here and there which was you know a very very wrong move every time I did it it was just I'd felt totally guilty for even doing it so um, probably about maybe after six months of me being back here in Colorado I decided I was like screw it I'm done can't do it anymore I just got to do it. I just quit. So I basically quit overnight, cold turkey, just like that, and gave it up. said, screw it, because I didn't want to deal with um, drinking, you know, at all, anything that had to do with drinking, period. So I started noticing other things. I started, but my sleeping was already bad enough, so I had pretty much really, really bad sleep my sleeping patterns were gone, you know, it's, it was way past just not being able to sleep. I'd sleep maybe a couple hours and then I'd wake up and I'd sleep a couple more hours and then wake up and then I'd sleep for maybe, I mean, I wouldn't sleep for like a couple of days. It was just so, so out of whack. Um, and then I started noticing the isolation. I started staying in more, you know, that was becoming a little bit more, um, I wasn't, you know, going out as much and I didn't want to really be around people. And I started noticing that when I was around people, I'd get easily annoyed. And 
you know that was a big thing for me because I've always been a people person like I said I was a I was a chef for 28 years and I worked in the restaurant industry I've been around people all my life I've never had a problem being around people and then all of a sudden I started feeling these feelings and I was like wow this is just I don't know what the heck is going on so started getting real I mean I over the course of all my you know years and with all the traumas I've been through I really had very bad nightmares but they started getting really bad at this point like um to the point where I've had dreams of people killing me or you know a, I don't know if you maybe like an apocalyptic nightmare because um one thing that comes from me being raised as a Jehovah Witness from the religious stuff uh I was told at a very young age that uh, we were living in our last days, you know, we let the world could end at any minute and stuff like that. I was told this when I was eight years old and this is what was taught to me and my brothers. And I was raised, you know, up until my teenage years thinking that I had that mindset. And so I've carried, it wasn't until I talked to my therapist and she told me, and we dug a little bit deeper into it that she asked me, she said, you've been carrying that mindset for all these years, haven't you? And I still carry it to this day because it's something else that I plan on doing work for, which is, um, I do EMDR. I don't know if you guys ever do, I've, I've done quite some, I did quite a few sessions of EMDR for a few different things, but my next session is going to be specifically for my religious upbringing. It's eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Let me see if I can kind of explain it in short. She basically, it's not necessarily where you, hypnot, you get hypnotized, um, and my, and I know there's certain ways that you can perform EMDR, but the way that I did it was she, or she did it is she used a light bar and a, a light bar where the light goes side to side and you focus on this light and you tower about the, the trauma that you were in at that specific time, the specific trauma. And she puts that, she takes that out and replaces it with a good trauma, a good memory, basically taking a bad memory out and replacing it with a good memory. And it's why you're focusing on this light. And it's something that has to do with the eyes. I mean, and it's really huge. Somebody figured this out some years back, and it's freaking genius. I mean, because say that after the first session, I did four sessions for my nightmares. <clears throat> and I did maybe like after the first session. By the time I went back for my second, I started noticing things that started coming down. Like after the second session, after I went home, Nightmares are almost completely gone. By the third session, there was nothing. They were just gone, completely gone. I didn't have another one. And to this day, I have bad dreams, but I don't have nightmares like I used to have at all, at all, at all. I mean, it's just amazing. I just can't even, can't even praise it enough. So I recommend EMDR for anybody who has suffered through. I mean, and it, it works for all kinds of different things, not just for trauma. It works for a lot of different things. Uh, my then girlfriend, who was my wife now, suggested that uh, I see a therapist. Um, and at the time, I didn't have means because I didn't have insurance. Um, now, we've, we're married. Um, we've been together for going on nine years. Um, I was fortunate enough to get under her insurance plan. Um, and I took advantage of that right away and I said I'm gonna see if there's anything out there as far as therapy you know um, 
again, she, she suggested it, you know, maybe you should go see, you know, a therapist. And I should be even more specific. Even before I did that, one of the biggest things I started doing was talking. I, I did a little bit of research and there weren't many people out there that were actually talking about PTSD. And I actually went through two therapists before I found the right therapist for me. So I went through, you know, this is my third therapist. But the first two that I, um, uh, that I had, which were, which was maybe a matter of a couple, a few months, maybe between the two, neither one of them knew anything about PTSD. They never even heard about it. Um, one, one guy actually said something, mentioned something about having a companion dog, which he knew a little bit about. And I, at that point, already knew about having a companion dog and having a therapy dog and stuff like that. Um, but he didn't know, he didn't know much about it. So that was kind of difficult because I was already struggling myself to kind of figure out, you know, what was going on with me. And then to find out on the other side, people, nobody really, I thought in my mind, nobody really understood it. How is, how am I going to find anybody? You know, so, but again, I went, you know, I had insurance and I was, you know, I figured there's got to be something. So the next therapist I chose, um, I went and met her. She was actually um, very, very skilled at what she knew. And she was actually, she is actually a veteran PTSD therapist. So when I met her, she knew exactly what I was talking about. And she, she uh, suggested that I go to one of her classes. She gives classes on PTSD and she teaches people what PTSD is. So I go to this class and again, I started talking about, well, actually not much. I kind of, there was like a, maybe a couple sheets of paper where we had to fill out a few things. And I mentioned some of my symptoms, but she pretty much did the rest. She had this big giant whiteboard and she started talking about PTSD. She started writing about this and that and isolation and anxiety and depression and da da da. Everything on that board up there had my name right behind everything, everything, she, everything she talked about, every single thing. I mean, it was just me all over that board. And she mentioned it. She was like, this is all, this is called post-traumatic stress disorder. She gave it a name. And at that point, I'd never heard of it. You know, I'd never heard of PTSD. You know, I just knew what my symptoms were and what was going on with me. So it was like, boom, a slap upside the head. A light went off. I was like, oh, my God, it's got a name. All this stuff that I have, it has a name and it's real. It's actually real. And she knows all about it. So it was like a big relief. I could actually finally, you know, finally breathe, let a big breath out and, you know, not necessarily get all the weight off my shoulders, but some of it started to come off because it finally somebody started, you know, I, I realized there was somebody out there who understood what I was going through. And that was, that was huge for me. I mean, that was huge. So... Grounding techniques. I'm all about grounding techniques. I have grounding tools all around my house. I've, I actually have a grounding toolbox that I use. It's actually a case, um, case that you use for CDs, an old CD case or something like that. I 
turned it into uh, basically a toolbox with all kinds of grounding stuff in it that if I that if I if I ever need to go to that I can just open it up and grab something out. Um, like I said, it's got essential oils in it. I have uh, uh, affirmation cards. I have uh, spinners like your little thing there. I have a couple of those things in there. I have a, I actually have a slinky that I found that for some strange reason one day me and my wife were in the, the store and i seen it on the shelf and i was like hmm wow look at that it's a slinky check it out grabbed it and started playing with it and just that alone i was like whoa and i i mean took me out of the moment my wife actually had to tap me on the shoulder and she was like where are you and i was like oh my god this right here this I said, I, get it. I need to take this home right here. So, I mean, I can pull out my slinky and just play with my slinky and boom, I'm instantly grounded. Just like that. I mean, and it's those little simple things because that's something that my therapist taught, taught me that once you start grasping, you know, where you're at and how you can use these tools to your advantage, it could be the smallest thing that you could use that can bring you down. I mean, I practice, I mean, people, I practice breathing techniques all the time. Uh, matter of fact, I did some before I came in here. Not that I really needed it, but I did it anyway. But you tell people you can use a breathing technique to come down or bring yourself down. And they're just like, well, what? what do you mean? You know, it's we breathe. How can you do that? Well, no, there's there's ways you can breathe specifically that you can bring yourself down and calm yourself down and bring yourself back in the moment. And I've been through the medication. I really didn't do any kind of medication as far as working on that because I wanted to go a different route which has served me while I use a lot of magnesium and turmeric and fish oil and stuff like that. And I swore to my therapist about these things. She was like, eh, maybe you might want to try, you know, the Prozac or something like that. And I was like, nah, I'm not doing it, you know, because I seen the whole pill thing, especially going through it with my wife and all that stuff. And I was just like, I'm going to stay as far away from pills as I possibly can. So there's nothing you could really offer me that I'm going to take. I'm going to say no. myself if I had the opportunity and that would be that it's okay to talk about your feelings and it's okay to cry and that your feelings are valid it's okay to talk about your feelings it's okay to cry and it's all valid I would tell myself that because I went through basically 40 years of traumatic experiences with having zero ways to cope. I wasn't taught how to cope when I was a kid because like most of us, I believe I can say that with you know certainty that there's a lot of us who were brought up who were taught not to talk about our feelings. We were taught to bury our crap, you know, suck it up, you know, don't talk about it, stop being a sissy, you know, stop stop being a wuss that that used to happen a lot when I was a kid so um which led to bullying which was another thing for me I was bullied a lot when I was a kid so um I mean I would definitely tell that to my younger self that it's I think the biggest thing would be that it's okay to cry um because that's something that I tell men these days and I'm not afraid to tell another man that it's okay it's okay to cry because that's something that we we 
definitely not only do we not talk about our feelings, but we think that crying is a weakness and it's something that we should stay away from. And it's, it shows or makes us, you know, less of a man or stuff like that. That's to me, that's all crap. I mean, it's crap. I mean, crying is a real emotion. It's a pure emotion. It's something that we do. If we, if we didn't have the ability to cry, you know, I mean, what Jesus, I'm, if we're holding tears in, I mean, we're holding so much else in, and it's just so damaging to us internally. I mean, I think the, the best advice I would be able to give is, is for if you if you recognize that you're having signs and you're seeing symptoms, to go ahead and dive into it and do the research and find out, you know, anything you can, all and anything you can about if it's depression, anxiety, PTSD, whatever it is, and do as much as much research you can. I think because that helps you um get to a place <clears throat> not only a better understanding but it kind of gets i think it helps with that shame a little bit that we deal with because in the first place you know we don't want to seek help because i think we're shameful you know um so i think that kind of breaks that barrier down when you start understanding about what these things are about and you what's going on with you because if you could understand and i think that's another thing that men struggle with they just not only do we want, we don't want to talk about our feelings, we don't want to look at ourselves deeply and really find out what's going on with us. For more information, please visit youdon'tfightalone.org. You Don't Fight Alone is not a medical podcast and does not provide medical advice. If medical help is needed, please reach out to a mental health professional. If you are experiencing a medical emergency, please dial 911. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone Incorporated, produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Lycom. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.